Hi, and welcome to the third episode. I'm your host, Vincent Young, and today I'll talk with Pekka Koskinen. He shares how they developed the product-led sales motion at Leadfeeder long before terms like PLG and product-led sales exist. This interview is part of my upcoming book about product-led sales. If you're doing sales today and are wondering how you can leverage PLG, then this book is for you. For early access, visit plgandsales.com. Now let's introduce Pekka. Before starting Leadfeeder, he founded three other businesses. These include a software development company called Solinor and a payment gateway company called Payment Highway. In 2004, he founded Snoopy, a web analytics business that will provide much of the early learnings for Leadfeeder. These businesses have all been sold, and today he's fully focused on Viewfront, the result of merging Leadfeeder with Ecobot after a 180 million euro investment from Great Hill Partners. At Dealfront, we work together on a daily basis. All right, Pekka, great to have you here today. We'll be talking about something that we don't spend a lot of time on usually, which is how Leadfeeder actually got started and how you built the growth model over the years. Sure. So we started Leadfeeder in 2012 with my co-founders, Herka and Vicent. And before that, we were running a web analytics company called Snubian. And that was a Finnish-based business, like majority of our customers was in Finland. We were selling with outbound sales and we were figuring out how to go international. Now we were living around like 2010. And we started to build outbound sales teams in different countries. And we learned that doing the outbound sales-driven internationalization motion wasn't that, that easy. It was very costly. And uh, at the same time, we were seeing really great startups coming from US like HubSpot and others that had this like nice free trial experience and they were generating leads with fraction of the cost that, that we, and also they were able to close the deals better because customers already got some value before they needed to purchase something. And when we made an exit from Snoopy at 2012, I wanted to build my next startup very differently. Building lead feeder to be an international global product led growth first, selling actually with dollars and nothing with euros because we thought that we need to look and feel like a U.S. company. But also this meant that we, we wanted to become like really effective and efficient. Like how do we go to market then? And how we did this was that in the first couple of months, we built a prototype of lead feeder and then just put it out there. We didn't even try to sell. There was no price. It was free sign up, free tool, just sign up, use it and give us feedback. And we, we started to do Google AdWords on it. The idea was to start validating that actually there is a, a, a problem and that we have a solution for it. And we ran Leadfeeder as a free product for a year until we, we then put the most interesting features behind a paywall and started to validate the next validation step in the startup journey, which is are customers willing to pay for this? And are they willing to pay month over month? Are they willing to continue this? Which is a key thing to pro the product market fit. And we back then didn't have any support or sales around it. So it was just pure self-service. And luckily we started to get purchases all over the world. We had signups from US and Central Europe and Nordics and everywhere. And many of those then found the, the product to be good and just put their credit card in and started paying us. We had developed, of course, analytics all around it. So tracking how 
how much can we drive traffic from AdWords, how well do they convert into signups, how the signup funnel works, so what is the conversion to paid. And then we started to improve this. For example, in the beginning, we only had like support. We didn't have customer success. We didn't have sales, but we saw that if we can talk with customers through support even, then the probabilities of us making a sale was higher. And then when we had a good flow of trust coming in, we started to think that, hey, would it make sense to conduct this and sell to this and explain them better how to use the product? And we hired our first salespeople that were then contacting the most promising trials that we got. And that worked really effi efficiently compared to the old model that we had experienced previous company where we were doing cold calling. And this is how the product-led motion got started. And then we started to add these commercialization steps on it and started to hire more people to call the trials. And we were then experimenting with what kind of trials are we conducting and how much effort are we putting into them. And we were quite light touch. So if they didn't buy, then we moved to the next one pretty quickly and I didn't start causing the sale. And we scaled this motion many years until uh, I think it was like 2017. We already had um, several millions of ARR. Then we started to really look at the other channels as well. So with inbound marketing, you can only reach those that are already searching for the solution. But we knew that there's a big group um, around these innovators and early adopters that are not yet knowing that they need our solution. So you can only reach those by outbound. So then we also started to invest in outbound sales, starting to experiment that, and also channel partners like marketing agencies, for example. So those were like two ways how we can go outbound, having someone else talk about us, which is the marketing agencies, and then hiring outbound salespeople to conduct bigger clients. And then after that, we've been evaluating the customer acquisition cost compared to the lifetime value that we are getting from each channel and started to put more money behind the channels that had the best ratios. And yeah, that's how we then ended up with this model where we have several channels and they serve different purposes. They target different audiences, basically. You mentioned something interesting right at the beginning already. You first wanted to get people to use it and only then figure out, okay, are they willing to pay for it as well? And I know that in outbound, you're doing something that is a bit unusual. The outbound motion is still focused on getting people to use it first instead of the traditional sales approach. What outbound usually does is sell something and then give access. So. How did you find these ways to do something that's more unconventional? Yeah, it is true. So how our outbound worked was that it still went through the free trial phase. So there was the usage phase. And this was a must-have because on the website, we were pushing so much this 14-day free trial. So if we just tried to sell somebody with outbound and they would visit our website, they would say to the sales guys, hey, I want to have the 14-day free trial before I decide. So it was very hard to not go that route. And we just decided on in outbound sales as well, like, let's try to have them go to the trial. Because we also knew that if somebody 
takes a trial and they install the tracking script on the website and we can de demo the product with their data, with their website visitors, with their customers. It's way more powerful. And of course, we had tested this. We saw what are, are the conversion rates with that kind of clients where we demo their own data compared to us demoing our website data on some demo website. It, it was totally different and, and we could already start setting up the customer accounts, some like searches or filters during those demo calls. And that proved to, proved to be very powerful. And the customer, after the demo, they have access to the tool and they can just continue from there where our discussion left. So that was really powerful. And then we just called them and tried to close the deal because the product has already proven the value. <laughs> and you walked through some of it already, but for you, what were the key moments on the journey, especially when talking about the go-to-market? Yeah, so I, I think this is related to the steps to build a startup. So in the beginning, there was the validation. Is there a problem and do we solve it? And for that, we wanted to, and what I advise many other startups also to do is to just give the product out for free. You can always upsell them. If you put the price on it, you're not going to lose any revenue because they didn't pay in the first place. And then there was the second phase, like pick the, the most probably working, go to market model and start trying to close the deal and, and get the validation that people are actually using and staying with the platform. And if we look at how do you build a startup, there's this product market fit stage and the next stage is product channel fit. So what is the effective go-to-market motion to sell this? And you always start with one, but then it makes sense to start testing the others. And typically there's inbound, there's outbound model, there's partnerships. There might be something else as well, some like ISV route or something, but those are the most typical ones inbound, out, outbound and partnerships. There might be a variation like is inbound purely self-serve or is it inbound touched, which means that there's also sales there. We have these four different channels that we monitored. And then you start putting small bets on them, start to see how well they perform, start improving them, looking at the metrics, where do you have the best LTV to CAC. Of course, it takes some time to understand what is the churn through these different channels. So the LTV part is a bit challenging sometimes to calculate. In the beginning, the CAC payback time is probably the best metric to look like how quickly are we getting the sales investment back because that's typically easier to calculate, like how what are the salaries of the salespeople and the marketing costs, basically. And after that, putting more money behind the ones that work, of course, taking into account that they need to be scalable. The great thing in outbound sales is that there's no hard limit. You can hire many salespeople and, and if the market is big, it will scale. The challenge with inbound marketing, especially with Google ads driven marketing is that it's very limited on the search volume. So when you start putting more and more budget behind Google AdWords, Google will start showing it to less relevant audiences. So the conversion rates from those ones that you added is actually very low because the, the averages come down, but especially the ones that you just added, those typically perform quite badly. So you try to find 
a sales channel that is uh, profitable, is scalable, and is predictable. And then if you find that, or if you find those, then you go to investors, say that, hey, we can turn one euro into five euros in 12 months. And yeah, that's how I do it. And something that you mentioned before as well is that when you, when you added the sales team, you made them call the most promising leads. Can you talk a little bit more through how you do that? Because this is challenging for a lot of companies figuring out, is it actually additive in terms of results to add that sales team or to add PLG or, you know, what were your experiences there? Yeah. So we were looking at the conversion rates per segment. What we learned was that when there was no sales touch, I think the conversion rates were around 10%, if I remember correctly. And then when we added a sales touch, the conversion rate was around percent, so four times higher. And then when we started to have metrics, like how many deals one salesperson can handle in a month, how much they can close more, we, we then were able to calculate the effectiveness and in the beginning we called only the biggest trust that we got and then we started to widen the the scope calling smaller trials as well and really searching for the best fit you probably end up in a situation where you are calling probably 50 percent of the biggest ones but then it's also important when do you give up how long are you trying to keep selling to them and a thing that many companies do wrong is that they stick too long with the clients that are not yet ready to buy. We pretty quickly moved to the next one. We also had this freemium version that if you didn't buy during the trial time, you could keep on using a, a limited free version. So we didn't really lose them. We just get back to them after six months. And the product had developed already quite a lot, so it was logical to get back to them. Hey, would you want to have a new trial in, in one year and evaluate again? Knowing when to give up, that's a really good insight. When you think through the, the journey, were there any things that just plainly failed? I need to think about that, especially I would say that in the previous company, going international with the sales led model failed. That was the learning there when it comes to lead feeder, we could have started to do the other channels earlier. We were quite like, religious on the inbound model and we don't want to really add the outbound model on top of it. It was quite late in our journey when we added that. We could have done that way earlier. Um, but there wasn't anything that really Failed. Of course, in the beginning, things don't work, but if you have the analytics in place, then we were able to make them work at some level, at least. Partnership model is something that we have been struggling with. Like, how do we get the marketing agencies to push us even more forward? That hasn't been as effective as we thought. What is the business model for the partner to push us forward? And also like they are many times expecting us to market them to our customer base, which we are not really doing. So I wouldn't say that we failed here, but we haven't really nailed this one at least yet. Mm -hmm. So coming then to the, the people, what were some of the key roles that you had in place to make all of this happen? 
So in the beginning, we only had support. So we had trials coming in, we only had support through intercom. So we had, and still have chat support in the product. So that's the main way how customers can get help. After that, we started to recruit salespeople and we, we, we saw that we, we don't need these high velocity salesmen. It, it's more people that can help the customer take the value from the product and understand um, internet marketing. So it's this sales assist role. So you're not really selling, you're just showing the value of the product and then the customer just wants to buy. It's a bit different focus there when it comes to selling. So we tried to hire people that know broadly internet marketing and, and can add value to the customer. And it took quite a long time before we added then customer success into the mix. But when the, the product got more complicated, we needed to have also people to help customers go beyond the first use case they, they saw. But we've always tried to keep the product as simple as possible. So we wouldn't need to spend too much time there. And because we came from this automated sales where volume is the key, we also made sure that the, the automated onboarding works well. We had support materials and uh, we tried to do things in a scalable way because we already had the volume. Good. Thanks for taking the time to, to share your experiences today. Is there anything you want to add before we close off? Building a startup takes a long time and especially the early years are many times really a struggle, but once you hit the pro product market fit and product channel fit, then it starts to go really well. If you just keep the eye on the customers and the numbers, and I would really emphasize to make sure that in the beginning, the KPIs and the product analytics is correct, because that was the like instrumentation we use to fly the plane, so to say, because otherwise you are flying blindly if you don't have that in place. All right. Great. Thank you, Becca. Thank you, Vincent. Another great conversation today. Clearly the focus on usage before even charging money for the product helped Leadfeeder build a strong product this year. Beyond that, it's the little things that make a model work, like knowing when to stop chasing a lead. Be on the lookout for my upcoming book about product-led sales. To get early access, go to plgandsales.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.